Welcome to Brain Wellness, the podcast. I'm your host, Mandy MP. Each episode will bring you a new topic or interview related to brain health and wellness as part of my mission to help you on the path to a healthier, happier brain. So let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Brain Wellness, the podcast. My guest today is Alec Wendelbow with the Brain Injury Alliance of Minnesota. Alec received his Bachelor's of Science in Neuroscience from Hamlin University and has experience working with the brain injury community through Case Management Services and the Wesley and Lorraine Arts Cognitive Neuroscience Center. Welcome and thanks for being here, Alec. Thanks for having me, Mandy. Yeah. So my first question I always like to ask people, uh, just to kind of get a backstory, is how'd you get into... To, um, how did brain health interest you? What's what's your background? How'd you get to be where you are today? Absolutely. Yeah. So my educational experience, that neuroscience side of things, but kind of getting me there. Um, I actually had four uncles and all four of them suffered traumatic brain injuries one way or another. Um, I had a one uncle pass, another one um, had a motorcycle accident, and another one had a bicycle accident um, and a stroke with another. So kind of just a unique bunch of circumstances that kind of drew me into the BIA. Yeah, that's sad to hear, but uh, (laughs) perfect uh, background for what you're doing now. Um, And why I like to ask that question is because I really think it it aids what you're doing. It helps you find the passion in in what you're doing and gives you purpose for for your your day-to-day activities. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I I had similar. I had a a grandmother who had uh, several strokes and uh, a good friend of our family who had had a stroke who that initially got me into neuroscience. Um, And then when I hit the neuroscience floor in back in 2000, um, that was I was that sailed the, the nail there for me. That was uh, or sealed the nail. Was, that was absolutely where I needed to be. So thanks for sharing that. Um, so for your background now in the BIA, what um, where where do you guys see that acquired brain injuries happen most frequently? Absolutely, yeah. So it seems like acquired brain injury, by and large, seems to be still relating to falls. Um, it seems like falls for the younger kiddos, normally under age of five or older adults seeming to be above the age of 70, um, tend to have the most of those falls and the most severe ones. It, surprisingly enough, it doesn't seem like we're seeing as much of a seasonal pattern as you might think of, you know, living in Minnesota with the ice and snow. You'd think that'd be leading to most of these falls, but it really doesn't seem so. It seems like a lot of the, um, you know, bathing issues, moving around in your home and then just general falls of your average everyday mishap. Sure, sure. Um, how about that age range in between? So the yeah. not the toddlers, not the older. Yes, absolutely. And they have a little bit more variability when we're looking at brain injuries. Um, for instance, in terms of like sports injuries, you know, when I'm thinking about like a sports brain injury, I'm typically thinking about football, like a, a contact sport. What we've been seeing is that bicycle accidents make up a, a large majority of these brain injuries, especially for the kids from like, um, I think it's somewhere around like 10 to 20. And then the motor vehicle accidents coming in for the another large population from that 15 to 24. So a little bit more variable, especially for the adults between that 24 all the way up to the, uh, you know, the 60s range with a lot of variability in what's going on with those folks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So mine came from a motor vehicle accident. And I know that's pretty high up there for kind of that middle ager group as well. Um, yeah, I'm calling myself middle aged, but yeah, <laughs> um, I know that's that's been up there as well. I've done presentations Definitely. on it before, and that was I think third or fourth leading cause or something like that. Um, so definitely up there. Um, why? 
I guess uh, I've, I've noticed some people don't necessarily say that they have a brain injury, but why might they they say yes if you ask them if they've had a head injury instead? Yes, we see that all the time. And I wonder if it's even just the connotation with the word brain injury. A lot of times when someone's bringing up that they have a brain injury, um, you know, they're referring to it in the more negative context rather than like the neurodiversity context. Mm-hmm. So from just my working with folks, it seems a lot of the time they're hesitant to give that brain injury label to it because they don't want to be treated any differently, of course, rightfully so. Um, but it does seem that when we ask people, have you had a head injury or have you ever had a strong impact to your head? They're much more likely to say Le- yes, like you mentioned. So I-, I wonder if it's just more like the the label itself of having a brain injury that people are hesitant about. Sure. Do you, do you think maybe they don't understand that they had brain injury and maybe that it's, um, cause I know from the, from the provider side of it, I've seen lots of patients who they've fallen, hit their head, but they didn't realize that they actually damaged the brain inside of it. They knew they had a bump on their head, whatever. Um, so I wonder if that's part of it as well. Just absolutely lack of knowledge. Yeah. Yes. And I know there's a little bit of a disconnect when people are thinking about concussions and brain injuries. Often you'll talk to somebody and they'll say, oh, yeah, I've had a couple of concussions, but they don't really make the connection of the concussion being a brain injury. So I wonder if there's a little disconnect there as well. Yeah. And I wonder maybe if you could clarify, too. So the variety of, of brain injuries that you guys deal with, what all falls into that category? Yeah, so we're really dealing with anything that would be an acquired brain injury. Um, Of course, acquired just being something that didn't happen to you during the birthing process, um, isn't genetic, wasn't passed down to you, and doesn't get progressively worse over time. So really anything that's going to be either a traumatic or non-traumatic brain injury. Um, Not to mention, alongside being the Brain Injury Alliance, we're also the Minnesota Stroke Association. So we kind of fall into that middle ground of the non-traumatic brain injuries as well. So really anybody in the Minnesota community who has a brain injury of any kind. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's where, where I was first introduced to you guys was through this, the stroke association, but uh, we, we often use that term for this stroke being a brain injury as well, because it is a brain injury. It's just not something that happened from a trauma. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I would also take care of patients in the hospital who had had falls and they had head bleeds and they would we'd focus so much on the head bleed part of it that I started noticing that people weren't really addressing the fact that there was a concussion that occurred with it. So I was always, I was always educating my patients that, Hey, if you hit your head hard enough to cause a bleed, you're going to have concussive symptoms as well. Uh, So that was another part that that people didn't always realize because it wasn't super obvious, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Um, are there are there any brain injuries that people can get that don't get identified right away? Many. Yeah, there's tons of brain injuries, especially on the mild side that go undetected for really long periods of time. It might even be years later that you start realizing you're having some symptoms and then kind of make that connection that it's something to do with a brain injury. Um, we do tend to see that a lot of times that will happen more frequently in men. Um, who knows if that's, uh, you know, a hesitancy to report or go to the doctor or really get some help when they might need it or kind of just, you know, ignoring some of those symptoms. Um, but it does seem there's a lot of folks who are currently living with brain injuries that are completely unreported. They don't even know they need some help. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I suppose there's probably not real good statistics for how, how often that happens. Yes, exactly. <laughs> because they're not reporting <laughs> it. Um, do you see uh, that you get more referrals for people who have severe head injuries versus uh, mild or moderate? 
Uh, no, actually, it seems like we do get quite um, across the board, a pretty even spread for the most part. The large majority of our referrals do come from hospitals or physicians, uh, people working with folks after the time of injury. But we do tend to get about, I think it's like eight to 10 self-referrals every month. Um, so we do get quite a bit of variability. Okay. Okay. Do you have any certain hospital systems that are better than others? I'm kind of curious because I'm, I know that, that when I got my injury, I wasn't referred to you guys. I actually was a self-referral. Um, so I'm, I'm curious where there might be, uh, areas of, for improvement, I guess. Yes. So at least across the metro, we do have a number of really good connections with the hospitals around here. At least we try to. We're yeah. trying to be connected with all the physicians, teach them about us, so then they'll know once somebody has an injury, they can send them right over to us. Um, I will say in the rural areas, it's a little bit more difficult. Often the physicians aren't quite apprised of what we have going on or that we are available to help across the entire state. Um, but definitely across the metro, we should have a, at least a little bit more security that the physicians will know that we have some things going on. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I know there's the annual conference for the healthcare providers every year. Other than that, what kind of education do you guys provide for the the, the providers, I guess? Yes. So coming up next, we have our professional stroke conference. And then in April, we have our professional brain injury conference. So that's our big one. We like to bring in um, doctors, other professionals to teach a little bit about their new research and just give a, a little spiel about what they have going on. Aside from that, the other things we've been really trying to do is engage with some of the tribal communities around Minnesota, um, those underrepresented groups, and kind of get them connected with us so that we can send them to the professionals as needed. Um, so we've been doing a lot of that. With tribal nations, um, with our Hispanic populations across Minnesota. So lots of irons in the fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, busy. And then you do education for the community as well. So I know there was just a, um, back in October, there was a, a presentation for community members. Uh, and you guys are coming up with a new name for that. Yes. Yeah. So that one's actually going to be the brain injury support conference moving forward. Yeah. Um, so that one will be coming up again, I believe in November. Um, but we like to have that one to engage the folks, um, get all of our survivors in to tell a little bit about their stories and, you know, really engage with the community. So lots of training events like that. And then we also do our brain injury basics courses. We do those monthly. Um, specifically regarding your introduction to brain injury, adjustment to brain injury, and then the caregiving aspects. Okay. Uh, we're also working to hopefully develop a couple of new ones. I'm currently working on one for abusive head trauma, previously shaken baby syndrome, um, and another for fall prevention, return to play, um, and return to learn. Very cool. Very cool. Lots of stuff coming up. Goodness. Yes. <laughs> um, you guys are really busy. Uh, and... I had another question that I was going to go with that. Um, I totally lost it. <laughs> it's not, not surprising having my own brain injury. I have those moments quite often, but um, oh, the, the referrals process. So when I uh, referred myself and I got a call from a representative who shared a wealth of information with me, um, can you tell us more about that service? Yeah. So our resource facilitation program is really what pulls everybody in. Um, so it's a two-year phone program, no qualifying factors. You just get referred to us and we'll help out however we can. And a lot of the ways that they can help out are things that people don't really consider. Um, like, for instance, if you're somebody with a brain injury, just getting someone to be a listening ear for you can be a challenge. If, you know, you don't want to bog down your family or your friends but you just want to express what you have going on. They're the perfect resource. Or if you're someone who's getting something like Medicare or medical assistance funded services, and you are unable to get something through those programs, then reaching out to resource facilitation, asking if they know of 
any grants or any programs that might be able to help out is another great resource. Um, and truly, the really the only things that our resource facilitators can't help out with are housing and financial assistance. Virtually everything else you can think of in between they can help out with. Yeah, I will say though that the person I that I spoke with actually was able to find some information for me on financial uh, assistance because seven months of now no income has really taken a toll on our financial health as well. And exactly. So it was really nice to have have some of those uh, referrals at least. So he couldn't do it, but he could get me in touch with people. So it was perfect. I'm I'm really excited that you guys have all, all of these programs. And uh, when I was looking to see, because I've got listeners from all over the United States, um, there are brain injury alliance or associations in, it looks like pretty much every every state. Yes, at least most of them. I've met a few from like Nebraska, New Jersey, um, Arizona. They're all excellent. Um, there is some variability about the size of the programs. Um, I know Wisconsin, for instance, is a much smaller agency than Minnesota, which is one of the largest. So a lot of them are still working to develop, get those like resource facilitation programs and get all of those ins and outs set up. But there are, um, you know, foundational aspects being put in place. Very cool. Yeah, I, my goal at this point is to try to get as many other people in my same shoes, the resources that they need so that they can get through their brain injury recovery, uh, hopefully a little bit smoother. Uh, I had a kind of a rough go for the first five months before I found the resources that I needed. Um, other than having been in neurosciences, I knew to reach out to one of my friends um, and have, get, get evaluated right away and get into PTOT. But Beyond that, uh, it was kind of a struggle finding the information. And when you have the brain injury, you don't know where your resources are. Especially where to start. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it took me a long time to remember even about you guys. <laughs> and, I yeah. had, and I had done a presentation for you four years ago. And I'm like, dang it. How did I forget about that? But <laughs> it's, uh, it's amazing what happens when you have the brain injury and trying exactly. to just remember where the resources are. So um, I'm really glad to hear that you guys do a lot of education with providers and, and trying to get that out there. Because had I heard about it earlier in the in this process, might have made a little bit more impact immediately. Um, but I'm glad I got it when I did. So better yeah. late than never. But yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the other really big department I just want to highlight is yeah. public policy. Um, we do have an entire public policy department set up with citizen advocates. They can be family members, survivors, anybody in the community who wants to make actionable change about brain injury. So they do weekly um, town hall forums and Tuesdays at the Capitol to go and meet with the legislators. And some of the really big things they're working to do right now are reducing some of the qualifying standards for medical assistance, removing some of the issues with interpersonal violence um, and abuse going on with public transportation across the metro. So that's just two of the big things they're working on. But if you're interested or you know anybody interested, we're always looking for more citizen advocates. Awesome. That might interest me, actually. So, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and we talked about a lot of the the, the new changes that, are, that you guys are working on and new, new proposals. Anything else exciting that we didn't talk about already that you have coming up? Hmm. We, we always have so many irons in the fire. It's a little hard for me to keep them all straight. Um, but yeah, some of the biggest ones are those two upcoming conferences. Uh, and uh, yeah, just uh, I'm pretty new to the eco position. So I'm working to formulate a lot of new presentations for us, get a lot of new things set up. Um, we're hoping to partner with a couple of the ACTC schools around the metro for Brain Awareness Week. Um, so that will be coming up in March. So hopefully some more stuff for you. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Very cool. 
Um, how can people find uh, the Brain Injury Alliance if, they, if they're looking to connect and, and get more information? Absolutely. Yes. So there's a number of ways. The easiest one would probably be our website, um, braininjurymn.org. Anyone can feel free to log on. There'll be a resource facilitation tab. Um, and in that tab, it'll give you either a phone contact or a self-referral contact. Either one of those, easy peasy, you should be able to work through. Um, otherwise, in terms of our other departments, um, for public policy, it'll be kind of a similar process, just going into that tab, and then there should be a little form to fill out for uh, becoming a citizen advocate. Um, otherwise, for our other services like case management, care coordination, um, those are a little bit more coming through the county rather than uh, you know being referred to us directly. So a little bit trickier to get into those ones, um, but by and large, any questions or you want to connect with us, give our main line a call. We'll be happy to send you where you need to go. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, you did send me the Facebook, Instagram uh, links and everything too. I'll put those in the show notes so that people can find you guys those ways as well. Thank uh, you. Also the website. Yeah. So that'll all be in, in the show notes on that. Um, anything else, uh, any favorite things that you have about working with the, the organization that you want to share? Or... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One of my favorite things um, is just the amount of survivors that we get to connect with. Uh, one of the favorite events that we get to do over here is called our unmaskings. Um, so we like to bring in these little paper masks, tons of paint, and really just give folks the opportunity to tell their story. Um, decorating the masks however they like. Uh, we must have like four gallon sized bags of stickers that folks can choose from. Um, and it's great. You know, you set all the supplies out and you think, you know, you'd really have to probe to get people to start working on it. You don't have to do a thing. You just sit back. They do all the work. They make all these amazing masks. We have thousands of them across our office and you could spend days just walking through and reading the stories that all these folks have. And it's definitely one of the highlights. Mm-hmm. I actually, um, I used to be the stroke support or a stroke support group, um, leader and stroke coordinator at Southdale hospital. And oh. we did an unmasking event several years ago, um, down at the Southdale mall. And it was an, an amazing experience having all of our support group attendees come and, and do their, make their masks. I made one as part of that. Um, I should probably make a new one. It's a different, come back, make it, another it, it would look a whole lot different than before. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very cool. Um, do you, how do people find out about that for, uh, event, I guess? Yeah, so there's tons of ways, um, mainly reaching out to our volunteer coordinator or our main line, I'd say. Um, otherwise, if like a, a provider or an agency wants to connect with us and do an unmasking for their groups or for a bunch of their residents, they can feel free to reach out, or reach out to our general line. And then we can, um, it'll normally be our volunteer coordinator, Debbie, um, one of our resource facilitators and myself um, coming out to kind of facilitate that. Very cool. Very cool. Um, anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up today? This yeah, a just a fun. couple of yeah. thoughts. Yeah. Um, I actually just took a couple of notes when I was listening to your most recent podcasts. Of yeah. That were really awesome. Um, so for one, you mentioned that recovery from brain injury is not a linear process. And I just want to do 100% say that I agree with you on that one. Um, you know, as I'm talking to so many folks who have experienced brain injuries and are survivors, you know, you see these, these setbacks and these detours along the way throughout the process. And what I want to say is just not to put too much clarity or excuse me, too much value into those mild, moderate, severe categories. Because by and large, you know, that's going to categorize how severe the injury was at the time of impact, but that's not going to clarify your uh, symptoms themselves or the survivor's symptoms themselves. So thinking more introspectively about what symptoms you have going on and categorizing it from that 
rather than the initial injury or whatever you were categorized at that time. Mm -hmm. I just thought that was a really good sentiment. Yeah. Um, and I also included, um, so this is actually a quote from one of our survivors. His name is Rick. This was back in 2013. And this is just regarding recovery. Um, so he says, recovery does happen. Doctors tell families that the recovery is a two-year process and that survivors will plateau and it stops. And he says, well, there are things I can do yesterday that maybe I couldn't do yesterday. <laughs> the recovery process never stops. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I know when I was um, taking care of stroke patients before, I would always have people tell me that they were told either six months or, or a year that they were done. And I always told people, no, there is no end to that. The most, the most impressive improvement that we see is in the first six months. Beyond that, it's slower, but it's still there because I would take care of patients five, seven, eight years after their strokes and they were still getting things back. Uh, so not that you want it to take that long, but it's never really, you're never done improving because there's always exactly. something that, that can get better. Um, and being on this side of the brain, in, brain injury recovery process, I don't like that it can take that long uh, because even, even at, at yesterday was seven months since the accident. It's I'm nowhere near where I was at that, that immediate uh, impact stage. However, it's still not back to my normal day to day. And that's, that part gets very frustrating, but I know that it is a process and it will continue. And I'm just not happy with the time it's taking. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that perfectly goes into the next one I had written, which you mentioned that you keep comparing me to me or yourself to how you were before. And that's something I hear all the time when talking to brain injury folks, you know, they're comparing the um, the back to normal instead of the new normal. They're thinking of themselves of how they were before and trying to reach that when realistically for everybody that might not be attainable. So we just want to give the advice to work from where you are today, not from where you were, not from where you could be, but work from where you stand. That way you'll be able to make the steps forward without feeling like you're a thousand steps backwards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's um, being on the recovery side, that's hard to hear too. Exactly. Uh, because you, and I've been like uh, my best friend who in, in, uh, interviewed me the last several episodes, she is a mindset mentor. So that's what she does. And she was trying to get me in the right mindset all the time. And I'm like, but it's not. And for years I, I would tell people to, I'm like, don't compare yourself to anybody else. It's only being better than you were yesterday, but that's hard when seven months ago, my better was so much better than exactly. it was yesterday. Um, so like we started started off the, uh, today, when I stumble over my words now, I don't edit that out of the podcast because that's part of who I am right now. Um, hopefully at some point I won't be that anymore. Um, but if I am, I'm going to have to be okay with that and, and learn to just uh, be okay with the new me. But that's a hard process too. Man, that's exactly. a hard process. Being able to roll with the punches and kind of just work from, from what you have. It, it's a struggle. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. Yep. So I'm, I'm very thankful that there are organizations like yours that can help people through this and uh, just help get the right resources to get to the best version of you you can be. Exactly. Because you might not be the same person anymore and that's okay too. Exactly. Yes. The neurodiversity is exactly what we're looking for. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and another one you mentioned was that you were kind of experiencing about a two hour time frame before you would like hit a wall, as you said, or where you feel like you could not really do anything else. Mm -hmm. And I just want to share how, how often this is something we hear when working mm -hmm. with BI folks, 
super, super common that you have a certain amount of time that you can allocate towards, um, you know, intense thinking, intense planning, or really anything more strenuous before you have to kind of hit your maps. And a lot of times that's due to the, the cognitive resources. You know, you after the time of injury, you're only going to have so many of those cognitive resources available. And it takes a little bit more time to, to build those back up than you would have pre-injury. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just want to share how how common we hear this and how you are definitely not alone in that. <laughs> also good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my joke is that I don't have a whole lot of reserves left anymore. So it's um, when I tap out, I tap out because there's not much that I can really fall back on. Um, and I used to be just a, a go, go, go kind of person, but it's, it's definitely much more limited. And I can feel that. Uh, <laughs> so I used to call my brain a sponge and you have to like wring it out to make room for more. Right. <laughs> and so that's why you forget your kids' birthdays or whatever, when you got to re- learn something new for work, but uh, <laughs> never has my brain felt more like a sponge than now. Cause it's just, it gets full and then there's nothing else that can go in it. Yeah. And you, and you have to wring it out before you can put anything mm-hmm. else new in there. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. cool. Um, and the last one that I had that you mentioned, yeah. just, you said that you really wished you would have had a break, especially after the time of injury. So you could just have some more time to reset and feel like you were healing. And this is another thing that we hear really, really often that after that initial injury, there's so much going on, so many things to do that people feel increasingly overwhelmed. Um, and I just wanted to give a couple of pieces of advice there. Um, for one, The Congress of Neurological Surgeons states that after the acute phase of brain injury, they recommend at least 40% of additional calories every day, which is something I had never heard before. I just learned this the other day, an increase in calories pretty substantially after that time of injury. Um, And when you think about things that way, you know, after the... um, you know, the hitting the wall or running out of those resources, it makes a little bit more sense when you think your brain is using exponentially more resources with each one of its tasks. So something like, you know, the amount of food you're eating, you might not even take that into consideration after the time of injury. But when there's this many surgeons who say that you really need a lot more caloric intake every day, I'm sure it's much more impactful than people are are giving a credence. Yeah. Did it uh, by chance specify what, if there are any calories that are better than others? I know after um, people have like orthopedic injuries, they should increase their protein. Um, Was there anything like that in there included? It didn't say specifically protein, but what they did just briefly mention were fats, the healthy fats, especially for the myelination, keeping all of those neural cells really healthy or as healthy as we can keep them. Yeah. Yep. Um, so one fa- issue that I've faced, and maybe it's another common thing that you guys hear, is lack of appetite. Yeah. So trying to get extra calories in, I, I can't even get minimum calories in a lot of days. Yes. Uh, so that's that's a trick. Wow. Yes, agreed completely. I hear that all the time. People okay. either have increased appetite, decreased appetite. Um, and, you know, I don't think there's a great scientific understanding as to the mechanism of why that's happening. And I'm, I'm sure there's something deep yeah. down there that, that someone can explain. Um, but definitely something I've heard before. Ah, huh. interesting. Interesting. Any other common things that you hear? Um, Yes. Um, Just in terms of like common questions, especially when folks start working with us. um, You know, one of the the common things that we hear is folks saying that they're um, 
you know, especially the financial concerns when you're initially getting into the brain injury. Like you mentioned, you know, you're probably not going to be able to keep working. Caregivers that are working with you or helping you might not be able to do what they were previously doing for employment. So finances are a huge thing. So reaching out, you know, there's a number of charitable organizations across Minnesota, whether it's the St. Paul Foundation, other, uh, you know, charitable orgs that will be able to help out. Um, just as like a, a, a personal anecdote, when I was a case manager, um, I had a specific client who um, she could only sleep sitting vertically. Um, she couldn't lay down just as a part of her breathing. Um, you know, of course, no physician is going to write her up an order for a specific, you know, uh, sitting up bed. So it was a real challenge. She had this, for lack of a better word, ratty old like armchair that she was using, really uncomfortable, the springs coming out of it. She really had nowhere else to go. So what we did is we went through that St. Paul Foundation and got her a charitable grant just to pay for the cost of that chair. She calls me a couple of days later and she says, I've been sleeping so much better every day. And tons of things like that, that, you know, you might not take into consideration how important your sleep is for recovery from brain injury. There's all these pieces that are kind of dominoing together. Mm -hmm. So I guess the big thing that I want to say is, regardless of what you have going on, whether it's a financial issue, um, a support issue, just an advocacy issue, it's literally what we're built for. You know? <laughs> we're the exact agency that can help out with those things. That's awesome. I love that you guys are, are there for all of those things. Um, yeah, that's so cool. Uh, anything else that you wanted to share, talk about? I love all these notes that you've taken. That's yes, exactly. <laughs> like six pages here with me. They're a little unorganized. <laughs> that's awesome though. <laughs> Um, let's see. Oh, um, maybe just another one to mention yeah. um, in doing some research regarding uh, especially coming out of those initial stages after brain injury. Um, a lot of folks, you know, they're going to experience some unpredictable behavior coming out of that initial stage, whether it's, um, you know, coma, impulsivity, disinhibition, regardless of what it is, you're probably going to experience some behavioral changes after injury. Not only is that normal, it's very common, but what is also very common is people kind of being reprimanded during this period where these behaviors or these actions are really treated uh, the same way that a neurotypical person would be treated for those behaviors. So what we do want to clarify on is that the consequence-based programming, especially after the initial injury, has not been shown to be helpful for these survivors. That trying to feed somebody new information just after they got out of the stage of brain injury is really not going to be helpful. <laughs> so, you know, as you're working with folks who have brain injuries, uh, you know, as you're a survivor doing all these things, just just keep in mind that, you know, it, it's a process, you know, <laughs> learning, especially after injury is much trickier than it was beforehand. And so be patient with yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, I have undergone neuropsych testing as well. And the learning and being able to gather new information and process information that was impaired on my, on my test results. So that's been one thing that's been keeping me from getting back to work and um, working as a healthcare provider. There's a lot of new things all the time and just remembering what to do with patients on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, that's, that's been a, a big, big issue. So just trying to get all of that back in, into working order again, to get exactly. me back to work. It's, it's seven months and it's still there. So yeah. it and is not an overnight. Time. Yeah. Yeah. So I did say recently that, that um, my, my brain healing right now is my full-time job. And then exactly. some, cause it's, it's, it's just as busy as I was before with my full-time job and my couple part-time jobs I had on top of that. So yeah. Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. um, I did just find one more that I think would be yeah. a good one to close out on. Yeah. 
you mentioned, um, this is just a quote from you, but you said you might be spiraling, but the people around you still love you. And I think that's really impactful because for tons of folks who have brain injuries, they, they really feel alone. They feel, um, you know, that they can't express their concerns because people might not understand what they're saying. And for a lot of folks who don't have like a natural support, someone in their life to be their caregiver can really accentuate those feelings of loneliness. So especially if you're one of those folks who doesn't have a lot of those natural supports, again, that's what we're here for. Reach out to us. We'll be happy to become that support net for you. But if you do have somebody that's, that's your caregiver, you know, if you're a survivor who has a prominent caregiver, whether it's a family member or someone you love, we just want to recognize how challenging being a caregiver can be. And that not only do we support the brain injury survivors, we support the caregivers as well. Um, another quote that I have here is, no matter how loving the relationship, caregiving almost always involves some degree of personal sacrifice and stress, which is completely fair. Um, you know, being that caregiver for someone is time you're allocating, potentially money you're allocating, and, um, you know, effort you're allocating to keep that person going. And it can be a really challenging job. Um, you know, as we know, the life satisfaction of the caregiver seems to predict the amount of emotional distress or functionality that the survivor is going to experience. So even if you're not the person with a brain injury, we can still help, whether you're a caregiver, a loved one, a family member, that's what we're here for. And then just as another recommendation, if you're entering some of those initial stages after injury and you're really not sure where to start, both reaching out to us and AARP has a family planning guide for new caregivers that can be accessed free. Um, you can access that via phone. I have a couple of QR, QR codes I can share as well um, that are pretty handy, but that's another great resource to utilize if you're in those initial stages and not really sure, you know, um, what foot to put first. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, really good notes on that one because that's it's hard on, on caregivers as, um, as I was taking care of patients before I always let the families know that you are part of my patient as well. It's not just the person that had the injury because everybody gets affected. Um, I've, I've got a husband and, and we've got three kids in the house still, and I guarantee you they were all affected by my injury as well. So, uh, Absolutely. to, to varying degrees, but yeah, it's, um, it's definitely affects everyone. So, yeah, I mean, one of yeah. those brain injuries, they they have the potential to change any single aspect, but realistically, they normally change every aspect yeah. of somebody's life. Yeah. Yep. I can attest to that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Well, great notes. I'm so glad you did that. That was awesome. Um, any last thoughts, anything else as we, as we wrap up? Because I do want to be respectful of your time today too, and get you back to all the important work that, that you are doing. Uh, but this has been great. I'm so glad you came on. I really appreciate you having me. This has been great. Yeah. Um, I guess the only closing notes I can think of would be we have our stroke conference coming up. That one's actually in a couple of days. So your listeners will probably be hearing to this a little post facto. That's true. Yep. <laughs> um, but we do have our brain injury support conference coming up in April. If you have any questions or you know anybody that'd like to be connected and join that conference, feel free to uh, share our information or have them reach out to myself. We will love to get some survivors or professionals or really anybody in there. Very cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Alec. Um, it's been great today. And I will, like I said, I'll let you know when the show comes up and I'll include all of that contact information in the show notes. Um, but great information today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mandy. Nice to connect with you. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Brain Wellness, the podcast. 
If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to subscribe, like, and share this with others to help me continue on with my mission to help people live healthier, happier lives. Go to www.brainwellnesssolutions.com to see what I'm up to and get links to all the social medias there. See you next time.